0: When I was in grade school, a girl we'll call Margaret more or less ran the playground. Um, She was extremely popular. She had a boyfriend already in third grade. Um, And not just any boyfriend, she dated. I was thinking about this. They probably didn't go on any dates. Um, I don't really know, but I doubt it. Anyway, her boyfriend was... The best kickball player in our class. Yeah, I know, right? And we had good kickball players in our class. He was the best. Margaret and her boyfriend, they were like an eight-year-old version of a of a power couple. Uh, they were they were like king and queen of the schoolyard. And and in the third grade, I moved into their kingdom. Uh, I was a new kid in school from Canada. Uh, and 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 for the first few months, uh, Margaret seemed to like me. Uh, Or more precisely, she seemed really happy to just ignore me. Um, But then one day it was cold, and and we went out for recess. And she noticed that my winter coat, which was mostly black and green, as I remember it, had on its sleeve um, like a small, like three-inch stripe of electric pink. Okay. Now this was the early 90s and, and in the early 90s it was very cool to have an electric pink coat. At, at least that's what my mom told me um, and I believe that um, but when Margaret saw the pink on my coat she like turned on me and, and she used all of her power against me. She started making fun of me and she got all the other kids on the playground To do the same thing. Margaret had power in my school, and it got worse in middle school. Um, In middle school, of course, it's not just uh, pink coats, right? It's it's acne. Uh, It's uh, your your voice is cracking like every third word. Um, Your body is changing. It's very confusing. Like I, I remember middle school being a time when I often felt like I was on just like on the edge of being humiliated. I felt really vulnerable, and nobody was scarier to me than Margaret. Um, sometimes she seemed to be okay. Sometimes she seemed like uh, she liked me. But a lot of times, I walked around on eggshells, like afraid I was going to do something she didn't like, and she'd just turn on me. And so I tried to keep her happy, and I tried to like, keep a low profile. It was like straight out of the uh, movie Mean Girls. Um, like, she always kind of kept you guessing, like, did she like you, or was she about to crush you? Like, you just, you didn't know. Um, and not knowing, okay, not knowing where I stood with her meant that I laid low, I kept my head down, and I tried not to be noticed. A lot of you know what this is like, um, You know what this is like even at work. Some of you work for Margaret. Um, You you never know, like, does the boss like me? Am I doing a good job? And if you don't know, it's my experience, if you don't know, you spend your workday just kind of keeping your head down. You don't speak up. Uh, You don't really try anything new. Uh, Because you don't know if you're trusted. Uh, You don't know if you're valued. So you just kind of hang back, lay low, hope for the best, and you live in like this constant state of uncertainty. It's miserable. There are few things that are more disempowering than to be unsure of where you stand. But there's a flip side to that, okay? A beautiful flip side, I might add. And that is, when you do know where you stand, and especially when you know that you are appreciated and valued, it can be incredibly empowering. So I probably experienced this for the first time, like maybe in late high school or college, where I met people who really seemed to like me, like they wanted to know what I thought about things, and and it was clear where I stood with them, And I knew that they cared. And I think because I knew where I stood, in college, I began taking more good risks. I tried new things. I stepped out of my comfort zone. I I tried things I never would have done if I was still worried about what Margaret thought. But then later, after college, I learned this can actually go even deeper. So I lived in a couple intentional communities, I got married. And I had this particular experience repeat itself a few times. Um, I'd mess up. Or people would learn something about me that was unpleasant, not good. All right? We've all got rough edges. I've got mine. And, and living with people really brings these things out. And so these folks, they, they saw my faults and they saw my failures. I did things to hurt them and to disappoint them. And, and I think a lot of people would have just sort of left me on my own. Like, you're on your own. Like, I, I'm not really worth the trouble. But incredibly, these people did something different. They forgave me, for one. But they didn't stop there. You know how sometimes someone can forgive you, but um, then they kind of avoid you? <laughs> like, like, they've technically forgiven you, but um, they really don't want anything to do with you anymore. Well, I had the experience a few times, and I know it's rare, but um, where someone not only told me that they forgave me, but then they made an effort to let me know that they still wanted me around, like they still wanted to be with me. And I'll tell you that that experience took my courage to a whole nother level. It was incredibly empowering. It, It was the exact opposite of middle school. Right. For once, I knew where I stood. I knew I was valued and accepted. And even the people who knew my faults found a way to stick with me. And all of that, I think, freed me to take risks and to be creative and to step out of my comfort zone in ways I never could have done otherwise. You might think about it this way. Um, I've maybe never seen anything good grow from the soil of fear and uncertainty. That was middle school, right? Out of that soil, out of fear and uncertainty, you get tribalism, right? Everybody breaks up into their own little groups of like-minded people. They, they separate from everybody else. You get cynicism. Uh, you get pettiness. Uh, You get get loneliness. But you don't get creativity and you don't get love. Not from fear. Not from uncertainty. However, if you can find soil that is rich in love and forgiveness, and by that I mean someone who doesn't just love the idealized version of you, but they faced your faults, And they want to continue with you anyway. There is power in that soil. Out of that soil can grow incredible things. And that's what our passage today is about. Paul is telling us that there is power in this soil. Paul tells the Ephesian Christians that they have a power available to them that is literally off the charts incomparable he says he gushes for five verses about this it is a power that will allow them in chapter five he says it will allow them to be imitators of god but that power cannot be accessed until we know where we stand You can't be courageous. You cannot imitate God. You cannot have that power until you know where you stand. And so in our passage today, Paul prays that we would know where we stand. He says it like four different ways. That it would be revealed to us. That we would have wisdom to see it. That the eyes of our hearts would be opened. He wants this to get through our heads. He needs us to know this. This is one of the most basic patterns of the Christian life, by the way. Paul follows this constantly in his teaching. You start, uh, you have to start by coming to know that God uh, forgives you and loves you and treasures you. You need to know that. And then once you know that, expect power. Uh, expect a change in your life. Expect Beauty and creativity and sacrifice. But not until you know. Not until you know. And so Paul starts by letting the Ephesians know the first, most important thing. He lets them know that God loves them. And he knows God loves them for one simple reason. He sees evidence of the Spirit in them. He sees evidence of the Spirit of God in them. So, he said in verse 13, just before what we read today, that the Spirit would be a sign that God had chosen them freely. That He had chosen them. That He had marked them as His own possession. That He loved them, right? And in verse 14, he sees evidence of the Spirit. He says he sees faith and love. These are the two most basic qualities of a Christian Spirit-filled life. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for the saints. Can't have faith, can't have love without the Spirit. And Paul says he's seen this in them. And the only conclusion he can draw from that is that the Spirit of God must be in them. And if the Spirit of God is at work in them, if the Spirit of God is in them, it means God loves them. That's the first thing Paul lets them know. He sees evidence God loves them. And that in itself is freeing. And I think a lot of of Christian theology seem to sort of stop there. They just sort of have this general love, like God just sort of generally loves us or values us. Um, But I think it gets better in our passage today. It's not just general love. In verse 18, Paul tells the Ephesians that he prays that they'll know the hope to which God has called them and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's kind of wordy, kind of typical of Paul. Uh, We'll take those one at a time. So the inheritance in the saints, that's our redemption. Okay, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It is God taking our place. Dying on the cross. This is not just sort of bland love of some unexamined version of us. Okay, God does not turn a blind eye to our faults and failures. He he looks them in the eye. He looks us in the eye with all of our issues, and He finds a way to love us anyway. That's the cross. That's what the cross is. It's God saying that our sins matter, That they really hurt people, that they really hurt God, that they really need to stop, but that he's not going to let our sins stop him from loving us. So that's the inheritance in the saints. And then the hope to which he has called us. I think that's a reference to verses 9 and 10. We talk about this every week. It is this plan that God has to bring all things together under Christ. And he's calling us to be a part of it. Not just to watch it happen, but to be a part of it. And that, to me, is the really big thing. I think God could have forgiven us, sort of technically, um, sort of let us get into heaven, but, but mostly he could have just avoided us. But instead, he says, I want you to be a part of my plan. I'm calling you to be a part of this hope. You know what this is? This is really good soil. This is soil from which we can expect beautiful things to grow. Paul wants there to be no question about where we stand with God. Because where there's fear and uncertainty, we lay low. We stick with people who are like us. We never reach out. We never try new things. We get into like this little holy huddle of churchiness. God didn't save us for that. He saved us to send us. That's what the power is for to send us, uh, to, to take risks and to be creative for His kingdom, knowing without a doubt that at the end of the day, whatever happens, We will be safe in His arms because He loves us. He's calling us to be a part of bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under Christ. That's not a small project. (laughs) And, And I think we should probably expect that our part in it will not always be easy or comfortable. So maybe for you it means Um, you're at work and you see your company like cutting corners or taking advantage of a client and maybe you will be a part of God's plan by speaking up. It's risky, right? But God loved you this much so that you could take risks. Or maybe it means you and your family, or uh, maybe you and your friends at school, or maybe the people you live with, I don't know, maybe it means you guys take a chance on kind of a messy friendship with somebody. So maybe you will be a part of God's plan by loving someone who really needs someone to love them, to, to love them, to walk with them, to just be friends with them. To tell them about this God of forgiveness and acceptance. You know, a lot of people have a very skewed, very messed up view of God. And and if it's a power for you to know what God really thinks of you, it will be a power for them to know how God really thinks of them too. It's risky, right? Befriending someone, sharing your faith in some way. But God loves us this much so that we can take risks. This is a huge project that God is undertaking. And I think the the part that he calls us to, to play in it won't always be easy. And so Paul wants to make sure that we know. I think Paul has this conviction that if we knew God truly, if we knew God truly, it would change us if we really knew how God saw us. And dear friends, when God sees you, He loves you. He has chosen you. And I know it because I have seen, in just about every person here, I've seen um, faith and I've seen love. And that is evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. And I know your faith isn't perfect and, and your love isn't perfect, far from it, but just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it's not still very powerful. He chose you. And, and if He chose you, He didn't just choose you to, to sit there and to be happy about being chosen. He chose you to use you, to work with you, to be an instrument in the mystery of His will. So, dear friends, my my best advice is to pray. To pray a risky prayer. God, help me to know who you are and what you've done for me. And then, give me the wisdom and courage to step out of my comfort zone, to be a part of your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it's not enough just to be told that God loves you or that he, uh, he's, faced, he's faced your sins and that He's found a way to love you anyway. Uh, sometimes it's not enough just to be told that. Sometimes we need to, to see it. We need to smell it. We need to taste it. And that's what this is about. Uh, the Lord's Supper. And, you know, we come to this table not because we ought, but because we may. Not because we're strong, but because we're weak. Not because we're right, but because we're sorry. Not because we're whole, but because we're broken. People of God, Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Powerful and loving God, we praise you.